นโมทัสสะภะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนะมะสังเ
However, these days uh, we're exceptionally fortunate because you know, I would say never before have we had such ready access to wisdom teachings. You can go online and, and search for teachings and listen to talks and, and it's a particularly fortunate time in that regard to have access to such teachings. And, and if we, for instance, come across the Buddha's teachings on the Four Noble Truths and, and they happen to make sense to us and some bells start ringing and maybe instead of this circumstance we find ourselves in triggering anxiety and despair, maybe it can trigger faith and real wisdom. And, and faith and real wisdom is, is very different from, from uh, believing in somebody who tells you that they know what's good for you. And so it's very fortunate if we do come across these teachings. And for the Buddha himself, as many of you would know, you would have read about the life story of the Buddha and how you know when he was, well, Siddhartha Gautama as he was before he was the Buddha. He, age 29, he, he was assailed by a deep and real question is there freedom from suffering? Is this mass of suffering that all beings are having to endure, is there freedom from it? Is all they got to look forward to, old age, sickness and death? And he certainly was very challenged by that question and it was what gave rise to the great interest, the great motivation, the, the great question that uh, inspired him to pursue his path of inquiry that eventually led to the liberation but before he reached liberation he, he had some serious practice to do and he, he went to uh, study under the teachers that were around at the time and, and excelled in acquiring all the knowledge and, and benefiting from their teachings however it didn't answer his deep and real question is there freedom from suffering so he went off and then engaged in almost unimaginable degree of uh, asceticism and until he figured he was heading in the wrong direction and started eating again, and at which point his five companions on the spiritual journey left him and so there he was, he exhausted the teachings that were available to him and and he'd pushed the extreme asceticism as far as you can go and he'd been abandoned by his spiritual companions. However, his resolve was still strong and his accumulated virtue and the power of his compassionate motivation to discover freedom from suffering not just for his own benefit but for the benefit of all beings. And that accumulation meant that he kept seeking and until he found the solution, until he found the answer. It took years and he found the answer. He found the liberation that he was looking for. And what he found, what he discovered, had absolutely nothing to do with extreme asceticism. What he discovered was a radically transformed relationship with that movement of mind, that 
activity and awareness that we call wanting. He realized that the way he was relating to desire was the cause of suffering. He was finding identity in clinging to desire. And with letting go of all clinging, there was the freedom from all suffering. Clinging to desire was the cause of the suffering. That was the cause of all his problems. And once there had been the cessation of all clinging, the cessation of all suffering, he discovered the imperturbable calm and clarity was manifest. It was there. And that, that imperturbable calm and clarity is the characteristic of a heart that is undefiled, of awareness that is not distorted by greed, hatred and delusion. And greed, hatred and delusion are the symptoms of unawareness and when unawareness has been addressed then the, there is no greed, hatred and delusion and the, the true nature of imperturbable calm and clarity manifests. So that came out of his hearing his own deep and real question and heeding it and following it and, and discovering Dhamma that he spent the rest of his life teaching. And so henceforth, after that, the Buddha taught what we all know as the, the Four Noble Truths. And we were chanting last night the Dhamma Chakrapawatana Sutta, which is a recorded version of the first discourse that the Buddha gave and on the Four Noble Truths. And that there is this experience that we all know, the experience of suffering, but how well do we know it? How accurately do we know it? And this has been pointed out to us that suffering is a message that we need to we need to understand, we need to get this message, we need to translate this message. We need to decipher the message of suffering. For for the most part, unless we have this pointed out to us, human beings just busy themselves trying to avoid suffering and accordingly never get the message. So the Buddha said, first we need to really slow down enough get interested in this message that there is suffering, life is a struggle. Let's cultivate mindfulness, let's cultivate interest and see if we can get the message, what's going on, what is behind this suffering. So the first noble truth is there is this struggle and the second noble truth is that there's a cause to it. It's not just chaos, it's not just random, but there are causes for this predicament. It's understandable from the perspective of the Buddha's wisdom. And the cause is this unawareness with regards to wanting, with regards to desire. The movement of consciousness that we call wanting is just so, like fire is just so. However, if you don't have an intelligent relationship with fire, then you get burnt, and likewise with wanting. If we're still clinging to wanting, making a self out of it, I want my way, which we all do, if we're doing that, then of course the result is going to be painful. However, this needs to be seen, this needs to be understood. So first we need to get interested in this actuality, the nature of struggle when there's disappointment, Let's not just distract ourselves. What is the nature of disappointment when I don't get what I want? What is the nature of sadness? Build up 
the resources, the faculties, the abilities to be able to meet ourselves when we feel challenged, not just distract ourselves. The Buddha teaches also not just the first two noble truths, but the third noble truth, which was his realization, his awakening, that there is freedom from suffering. The freedom from unawareness and the, the cessation of all clinging is the liberation. And then there's something we can do about it. It's not just something to think about. It's, it's a involves all of our being. So we have the eightfold path, the, the, how to live a life that accords with, that aligns our being with the potential of this realization. So this teaching, the Four Noble Truths, has been around for 2,600 and something years. And, and however, although it's been around for a long time, that doesn't make it any less relevant. So people who lived in northeast India 2,600 years ago, if they were, if they were to pinch themselves. Ouch, that hurts. You pinch yourself, it hurts. 2,600 years later, pinch yourself, it hurts. That's, that's what happens if you're a human being, if you behave like that. And likewise, when there's unawareness, when there's clinging, uninformed relationship to reality, then suffering is the result. So the relevance of these teachings hasn't changed in 2,600 years ago. However, we do still, even though these teachings have been around for a long time, we do still get lost. And even if we've heard these teachings, we still tend to allow ourselves to follow habits of heedlessness and look outside, looking outside for the cause of the suffering. The real cause is not outside, from the Buddhist perspective. And so this invitation of the Four Noble Truths is to discipline our attention so as to get interested in the message and then inquire until we drill down to, to find the primary cause of suffering. Of course, there's proximate causes and there's all sorts of triggers. There's all sorts of things that can cause us to feel dismay and despair and disappointment and we can feel critical of things in our culture and our, in our, perhaps in our upbringing and our politicians and, and maybe blame our astrological configuration. There's all sorts of um, conditions that can trigger suffering. But are they primary? To look at the primary causes of suffering takes discipline, takes, takes time, takes effort. So the encouragement in the Four Noble Truths is to make this investment, to give it the attention that it deserves. Suffering deserves attention. And yet how much attention do we pay to suffering and how much attention do we pay to distracting ourselves from suffering? It's like you've got a you've got a splitting headache and you go to see the doctor and the doctor doesn't have a lot of time to see you so he says, oh, don't worry about it, take some paracetamol. And you take some paracetamol and a few days later you, you, the headache's getting worse and you go back to see the doctor but he's too busy and doesn't 
doesn't ask enough questions and so I'll take cocodamol and that'll doesn't give the condition the time and the attention that's warranted and doesn't ask you he doesn't know that you've been swimming in hot pools and you've caught meningitis and doesn't know that you can't lower your head down that's really unfortunate that's really dangerous and so it is with our lives and we have the symptoms of unawareness and yet we don't necessarily really give it the time the, the pain which is the natural consequence of of unawareness the greed hatred and delusion that we all suffer from it's not because we're bad or there's something going wrong it's just, this is the natural consequences of um, unawareness now of course it doesn't help when we live in a culture that we're bombarded with advertising for instance and, and all sorts of stories and feed delusion it's not this is not a wisdom culture that we live in I think it's fair enough to I think called a culture of delusion. The idea that you need more before you will feel satisfied. You need more before you'll feel whole. You need more information, more experiences, more holidays. Keep consuming. That's the the story that the the values of the culture of delusion keeps telling us. And so it is difficult. However, as I was saying, we're very fortunate that we have this uh, access to these wisdom teachings. Um, and if we're smart, what we'll do is heed the advice of those who have walked the path ahead of us. Um, there's a verse in the Dhammapada, verse 76, where it says, Only blessings can arise from seeking the company of wise and discerning persons who skillfully offer both admonition and advice as if guiding one to hidden treasure. Only blessings can arise from seeking the company of wise and discerning persons who offer, who skillfully offer both admonition and advice as if guiding one to hidden treasure. So we have this admonition and we have this advice and, and part of the advice is to, to not waste this opportunity we have we, we hear the teachings we have this human existence we have our physical faculties we can see, hear and smell and taste and so on and the Buddha pointed out that we also have the spiritual faculties faith, energy mindfulness, collectiveness, discernment that we've contemplated on many occasions these spiritual faculties just as if our physical faculties are inhibited or obstructed and we can't see, can't hear it makes life very difficult well likewise if our spiritual faculties of trusting knowing how to generate energy or motivate ourselves mindfulness collectiveness discernment, these five spiritual faculties if we if they remain undeveloped then we're disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. Life 
throws us a googly and we don't know what to do with it. One of life's deep and real questions bubbles up to the surface and we can be overwhelmed by it. So the wise thing to do is to heed the advice of those who've walked the journey ahead of us and identify these spiritual faculties and cultivate them, the ability to trust, really the ability to have wise faith, not naive, blind faith, but wise faith. When we're confronted with something we don't know, say, well, I trust in, I trust in truth. I've listened to the teachings of those who've gone ahead of me, and I, actually that makes sense, and I trust in these, but I don't know myself. And so we choose to trust, and that trust, that faith, can sustain us. Sometimes we just don't know how to handle the difficulties that we feel confronted by. If we don't have trust in in truth and trust in wisdom, then we can easily fall prey into doubt and despair. Faith and discernment, they they help each other. They challenge each other. Uh, Like energy and Collectedness, likewise, these five spiritual faculties. You can see these these two pairs: faith and discernment, and energy and collectedness, supporting each other. The tendency to to get all energized and enthusiastic and and inspired about Dhamma practice and about the Buddha's teachings and read more and think more. We can actually just become disturbed more. There is also a place for for making an effort to let go of thinking, let go of speculating, appreciate collectedness of attention, exercising the discipline of attention. And that which oversees these other four spiritual faculties, that is the one of mindfulness, sati, carefulness, watchfulness. These five, five spiritual faculties that the Buddha encourages to identify and cultivate. If we don't develop them, then even though they may be there as potentials, they're not there to support us when we're challenged by life's real questions. So if these, these faculties are somewhat developed in the we're in a better position to be able to investigate some of these assumptions that we've been operating under, the assumption that I need more. I won't be, I won't be contented until I re, I'm, somebody understands me or I feel appreciated. I need more appreciation. Of course, to be appreciated is lovely, but do we really need to be appreciated? I mean, for children, it's it's a need. But how about we experiment with, instead of following that impulse to, I want to be appreciated, I want to be understood, how about we exercise the ability to be appreciative? And if we have our spiritual faculties somewhat functional, maybe we can experiment in this way. We're not talking about grasping this as a some sort of a a dogma, but by way of experiment. And instead of believing in the, the impulse to I 
need to be appreciated. It's like believing in the idea that I am inherently inadequate. I am inherently inadequate. I need other people to appreciate me. Instead of that, we go for refuge to the Buddha, to the Dhamma, to the Sangha. The Buddha is inherent adequacy. I go for refuge to the Buddha. So I trust that there is this reality of inherent adequacy. Instead of believing in the, the stories that we've been told, that we are inherently inadequate and we need more, I need to be appreciated, we could try experimenting with being appreciative. Instead of, I need somebody to listen to me, we could experiment with, well, can I just practice listening? Listening to others. Uh, really making, an attempt, making a, a conscious, intentional effort to listen to somebody else. Or instead of reading more and thinking more and becoming more, instead of following all the activity of the mind, the activity of awareness, you could try dropping in the suggestion, simply being aware, being awareness. Instead of following the activity of awareness, we could make the effort to simply be awareness, drop in the suggestion, abiding as awareness. That's different. Again, we're talking about by way of experiment, not conditioning ourselves to believe in something, but just to investigate, use our developed spiritual faculties to turn around these assumptions, to undermine some of these assumptions that we've been conditioned to believe in. And I need more. You've got to struggle to get what you want out of life. And the most that I can ever hope for by following my way, is momentary respite from the pain of the irritation of wanting. My way, if we're caught up in that, it's an irritation. And yes, if I get my way, momentarily I feel okay about that. Until the next time, and then the next time. So what the Buddha's teaching on the Four Noble Truths is inviting us to stop to change the direction of attention, to look inwards. Stop looking outwards for the cause of our feeling of inadequacy. Look inwards. And feel inwards. Investigate inwards. And if we do this, we start to untangle or loosen the grasp of our commitment to my way of doing things, start to see the intelligence of the Buddha's way. Not just blindly believing in somebody, but seeing a sense of, of real faith, of feel moved by the wisdom of those who've walked the journey before us. And give ourselves into the spiritual exercises. Not taking up meditation because it's cool or take up meditation because somebody else says we should but because we're interested and then maybe we think yeah okay I, I want to commit to a regular meditation practice it doesn't have to be two hours every day maybe it's 20 or 30 minutes five days a week but consistently taking it on as a discipline taking on the, the basic five moral precepts as a discipline these five moral precepts that the Buddha spoke about 
and the basis of this decent existence, they help us make life simple, be clear about the boundaries in in life. And, And then also to seek out and surround ourselves with those kind of friends, that kind of company that's going to be there for us, help us remember quicker. Help us remember quicker when we're about to buy into the con that is the culture of delusion. And instead of buying into the con that is the culture of delusion, maybe we can contribute to a wisdom culture. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. Handa yang gamma <laughs>